is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Our guest today on Catholic Review Radio is Jim Rafferty to talk about leadership and all the things that go into that. Jim is a marketing and communications consultant and principal of JM Marketing LLC in Baltimore, where he resides. He's the author of Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss and Life, published in 2022 by Morgan James Publishing. He's a former radio announcer and a program director, and he now puts his three decades of marketing experience to work helping businesses communicate better. He's also a former Boy Scout leader, the story of which serves as the catalyst for Leader by Accident. Jim is married with two grown children and is a longtime parishioner at St. Joseph's, Texas, in Cockeysville, where he has served as a cantor and music minister for more than two decades. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Appreciate it. Let's talk about that incident that led to your involvement as a scoutmaster and eventually led to the book, Leader by Accident. How did you end up in that position? Yeah, un- unexpectedly, to say the least. Um, m- many in the Baltimore area are probably familiar with what became known as the the Browning tragedy, where uh, a family, John Browning and his wife, Tammy, and their two younger sons, Greg and Ben, were all shot to death by their oldest son, who was then 15 years old. And you know, I, I always like to start by saying that, you know, that event had such deep and wide repercussions through the community that, you know, my little slice of it is hardly worth talking about. But it but it changed things for me pretty significantly in that uh, John was the scoutmaster of the Boy Scout troop that our son belonged to. All, all three of the boys were members of the troop. And uh, a few days later, I was the new scoutmaster of the troop, which doesn't sound like a big deal, I guess, but uh, I had pretty much zero in the way of, you know, scouting skills. I had been a Boy Scout for all of a couple of weeks as a kid. I really didn't like it much. And, uh, you know, no outdoor skills or any of the things that you generally would want into your Scoutmaster. So so Leader by Accident is sort of the the story of being thrust into a leadership position very unexpectedly at a, at a very, very difficult time for the organization where we, we we truly didn't know if the troop would survive. And I'm I'm happy to report that it, it did. It survived. It thrived. They're they're still around and, and doing great. One of the things that you did as a scoutmaster was communicate to your troops uh with a scoutmaster minute. What what was that about and why is it kind of important to be able to communicate in a brief way and let people know your thoughts? Yeah, you know, as I said, I had no outdoor skills or a lot of the things you would want in a scoutmaster. But there, there is this part of the scouting program called the Scoutmaster Minute, and it's essentially a little mini homily, you know, given at the end of each meeting, designed to send the boys out the door into their week with, a, you know, a positive or motivational or inspirational thought. And I thought, well, that I can, I can probably do, and I, and I worked hard on those, and and they made an impact. And I, I think it's so important because you know that is a stretch of a young person's life you know those teenage years generally scouts are you know 11 to 17 years old that's a stretch where they 
really need as many positive voices in their ears as possible, you know, and, and today more than ever, because there's just, you know, they're bombarded from so many different directions by so many messages that are not, you know, uh, palatable. So, you know, that, that felt really important to me and probably the most important thing I did as a scoutmaster on an ongoing basis. And, and I, I kept an archive of those scoutmaster minutes and I used those throughout the book and, and take what I was trying to teach the scouts and then translate it to something that hopefully is meaningful for you and me and, and people trying to get through life. You know. It seems, you know, that funny, but some of those lessons we learn early on kindergarten, grade school, scouts, are the ones that kind of stay with us for a long time. Why is it then that that scouting seems to be a good way to to instill those values that end up lasting a long time? You know, I always said about scouting, like if you ever coached uh, your child's sports team, which I did and many of us did, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> T-ball coach. Yeah, sure. You... Right. So you know that when you wanted your own child to learn something, you sent them to the other coach because they were going to tune you out because you were dad or mom or, you know, whatever. Right. For me, the scouting program is that other coach. You know, it's it's reinforcing the things you're trying to teach at home about, you know, being a good person, being a leader, being a good citizen, all those things that we want our kids to to have. And it's, it's reinforcing that outside of the home with some other voices that maybe you know, the, the kids won't tune out as quickly as they do their own parents. Yeah. I, when I was coaching T-ball, it, it certainly wasn't about forming the next Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> or anybody like that, because these were five and six-year-olds, maybe a seven-year-old here and there. Some of them had some skills and they probably got really interested in baseball later. But I said a lot of it was just, it was trying to teach organized sports with training wheels. You know, it's just yeah, how to it is. How, how to do, how to play together as a team, how to learn the yeah. basic skills that you need. And it seems to me that scouting is the same kind of way that you, you learn some basic skills that help you do better in other parts of life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the the parts that's a little bit magic about the scouting program is, as I said, you know, you have 11 year olds and you have 17 year olds, and those are two very different creatures. They sure are. You know, and it creates this whole ecosystem where, yes, there are adult leaders to guide the way, but the whole object of the exercise is to develop these young men into leaders. So you get to a point where when everything's working right, the, the 15, 16, 17-year-olds are are taking the 11 and 12-year-olds under their wing and, and bringing them along. And that's what really makes it work. Mm-hmm. What are some of the leadership skills that you imparted to your scouts, but that you also impart in the book? The, the thing we saw over and over again, and, and probably the toughest lesson for some of these guys was learning what leadership is not. Mm-hmm. And leader, leadership is not saying, hey, I just got appointed patrol leader, so now you peons have to do what I say, you know, because that would happen over and over again. And they'd start bossing people around. And, of course, the people being bossed around would cheerfully ignore them. And the, the young man would come back to us in tears and they'd learn a valuable lesson, hopefully, you know, and that that's that's not what leadership is. You know, leadership is is getting in there and, and rowing the boat in the same direction with the team, not not telling them to row the boat. And, you know, th- that's a big one, I think, at, at any any age, really, but especially for for young people having their first leadership experience. Yeah, I the other one that, that I think I found interesting was empathy. And, and you talked about this at, a, at an event I was at and you talked about using turn signals as a, an example of, of empathy. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So we reached this place and, and, you know, the, the book really 
was done and at the publisher before the pandemic happened and and all that so but it just happens to dovetail pretty well with a lot of what we've seen happen with this this need for empathetic leadership because all of a sudden you know friday we were all in the office together and then on monday we're all trying to figure out how to work remotely and you're managing people and trying to figure out how to do that not in person, so losing a lot of those nonverbal cues you would get if you were sitting across the desk, but also having to take into account the the fact that they're probably now trying to homeschool their kids or take care of an aging parent or, or things like this that we all had. Everybody had their own story during the pandemic, but we had to reach deep to to find new reserves of empathy. And I think a lot of people did not measure up. And, you know, then we had the great resignation. And the the turning signal thing is something I did with, with yes, a couple of groups. And and I just asked, like, show of hands on your way over here today, how many of you used your turning signals every time it was appropriate? And, you know, maybe two thirds of the hands go up. And then I say, including lane changes and a few more hands go down, right? <laughs> but the, the point is that like, I don't think we can be that person who's, you know, zipping around the beltway at 90 miles an hour and cutting people off and determined to get there first and treating everybody else's obstacles and then get to our office door and say, OK, I'm going to put on my empathetic leader hat now and and be this good human being and, and the, the leader that my people need. I, I think it's something we have to practice all the time at, at work or not. And, you know, I use the driving examples because it's universal and we all live it every day. But you know, being empathetic, being an empathetic person comes before being an empathetic leader, I think. Mm -hmm. One of the points you made about that was that, you know, the turn signal is not for you. You know where you're going. Right. The turn signal is for the other people around you so that they know your intentions, so that they know what direction you are heading and, and, and that. And I found that to be really interesting because, well, even just today on my way into work, there was a guy on the freeway just kind of zigzagging throughout the things as though he was in a, a, a version of Grand Theft Auto <laughs> and no turn signals, of course. And, no, no. and I found that, that that was just not a good example to set for other people. Whereas if you show people, hey, this is where we're going, this is where I'm going, and I hope you'll follow me, that seems to be a better way to do it actually seems to sound a lot like Jesus, who said, this is where I'm going, and I, I would like you to follow. It does, yeah. And, and you know, Jesus didn't say, hey, I, I'm going to use you people to get where I'm going, you know, or, or you're in my way of getting where I'm going. You know, it, the message was, you know, come be a part of me and, and go where I'm going. And I think we have to do that as leaders and as people raising families and, and all of that. We, we can't, you know, treat our the people reporting to us as though they're just, you know, just based on what they can do to help us get to our next career step. You know, we, we have to genuinely be empathetic and to put their needs first. And it's something you can't fake. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with Jim Rafferty about leadership, what it is and what it isn't. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests served for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. 
Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. The All Saints Sisters of the Poor have carried out a wide array of surprisingly diverse ministries over the course of their 150 years in Baltimore. They've helped children of former slaves, worked with children with special needs, and provided homes for poverty-stricken children and seniors. They've offered space for lay people to make religious retreats, co-founded a hospice, cared for the environment, tended to injured animals, promoted beekeeping, and maintained a scriptorium where they designed inspirational religious cards. The common thread that runs throughout the generations, however, is the sisters' devotion to cultivating a relationship with Christ. The All Saints Sisters of the Poor were established as an Anglican religious women's community in 1851 by Mother Harriet Bronlow Byron in England. Three sisters came to Baltimore as missionaries in 1872, establishing the first foreign branch of the religious community. From Baltimore, they spread to other American cities. The sisters were received into the Roman Catholic Church in 2009 by Cardinal Edwin F. O'Brien. Archbishop William E. Laurie celebrated a November 4th Mass at their Catonsville Convent, honoring the 150th anniversary of their arrival in Baltimore. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. As Our Lady of Mount Carmel School's athletic program continues to grow, it will benefit from a unique relationship with a soon-to-be-built state-of-the-art facility. School officials participated in a November 7th groundbreaking ceremony for the new Cal Ripken Senior Foundation Youth Development Park at Renaissance Park in Essex that is expected to be ready for use in the fall of 2023. Mount Carmel's athletic teams will have access to the facility until 6 p.m. each day and for Friday night events once a memorandum of understanding is complete. Mount Carmel was instrumental in working with the state, Baltimore County, and the Ripken Foundation to secure grants and funding for the $2.3 million project. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The Archdiocese of Baltimore's Pastoral Staff Day was a time of, quote, energy, adoration, and evangelization. More than 400 parish leaders from the Archdiocese attended the event hosted by the Archdiocese Institute for Evangelization at the Church of the Nativity in Timonium, October 27th. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. For Catholic Review Media, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We're back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with Jim Rafferty about leadership and all the qualities that go into it. In the book, Leader by Accident, you talk about solitude as being an, an element of leadership, which I think would be kind of counterintuitive to most people. They think leadership means you're always with people, you're, you're doing that. How does solitude play into that? The example I use in the book was on a trip to Yellowstone National Park and make a much longer story short. At the end of the day, I had to hike from one campsite to another by myself at you know, for maybe a mile and a half, not not a terribly long distance, but it was the most alone I have ever been in my life. And it was beautiful. It was just quiet. And there's no planes going overhead. There's no traffic sounds. There fortunately were no grizzly bears coming out of the woods at that moment, you know, all that. And th- that moment made such an impression on me. And I still try to do this. I, I did it yesterday. I do my best thinking when I get out into the woods and and walk a little bit. And we live very close to the the fire trails up along Lock Raven Reservoir. I did that yesterday. I did a three-mile loop and just saw two other people the whole time. And I think we have to, you know, find ways. And if that's your thing, getting out in the woods, great. I highly recommend it. But whatever it is, there's something to be said for 
quiet reflection that will make you better at what you do. You can't be in the thick of things all the time. And we are in the thick of things because we carry these little electronic devices with us that chime and ding and buzz all day long and really conspire to keep us from having any solitude or any time for reflection because we're always getting the next alert or the next email or the next text or SMS or whatever it is, you know, and I, I think it takes some work, right? It takes some conscious effort to to find that time that solitude that whatever that means to you but i think it's time really well spent mm -hmm. one of the aspects i've always found about leadership is that it, it's not it doesn't necessarily mean to be managing people that leadership and management are two very different things how can people be a leader in their life if, if they're not a manager of people or if they're not kind of a boss of some kind what does it mean to be a leader when you're part of the pack? Yeah, I, I always mention this when I when I speak in person to a group because I start to talk about leadership and I say, look, by the way, you know, I don't care if you run an organization with 200 employees or if you're the new salesperson who started last week, you know, someone in your life right now is looking to you for leadership. It might be your spouse or significant other. It might be your kids. It might be your aging parent who needs you now the way you used to need them. But somebody needs you to to be that person and to be that leader. So we we all are leaders, not every minute of every day, but whether we manage people or not. And I think because of that, we need to be able to tap into this empathy and and all the things we're talking about here and and just, you know, really make that conscious effort to understand that that somebody somewhere is looking to us at some point to be led. Mm-hmm. As a communications consultant, what do you do when you're you know, talking to somebody who just doesn't seem to get that? They just don't seem to understand that leadership is not about being authoritarian, but it's 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 about cooperating with the people that you want to to move in, in a direction. It is. And it's about I'll tell you, my my biggest thing probably with uh, in the communications and marketing side of my business is getting people to uh to to simplify the language that they're using as an organization you know when we uh we write a website or you know an email newsletter or whatever we're doing we tend to be you know take approach it from a point of view where we go well we have this very serious business and we do very serious things so we have to use big words and and a lot of corporate jargon you know so people will understand that we're we're very serious about being serious and you know the message gets lost because as we just said, we're inundated with messaging all all day long and all night long, and nobody's going to take the time to try to translate what you're going to say. So, you know, I think whether we're talking about an organization communicating with its constituents or we're talking about a person who's trying to lead people in any way, we have to communicate in a way that they can we have to come to them and communicate in a way they can understand and be conversational and use approachable language and you know, it's it's we're and not we are, and it's there and not they are. And, you know, it's it's really something I learned in my radio days was, you know, we used to call it writing for the ear, but, mm -hmm. you know, the conversational language, because otherwise nobody's going to make the effort to jump those hurdles and figure out what we mean, what we mean. Mm -hmm. You talk a lot in the book, Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss and Life, about all of those things, about loss and 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 life but also about lessons. How do we learn to be better leaders? 
Yeah, the lost part of it, I mean, obviously began with the, the Browning tragedy that, sure. you know, launched the whole book. And then I, I go back at the end of the book and devote a little time to a, a dear friend and, and neighbor who passed away and, and why that was significant and sort of try to reflect on on what all that means. You know, I I think the lesson in all of that and and one of the things we did as a as a scout troop that I think was smart was we did not hide from what happened. We we regularly discussed the the Browning tragedy and the fallout from that and what was going on as the case wound its way through the courts and touched base with each other and asked how you're doing and made sure that we were there for the boys and that they were there for each other and all. And I, I think that concept of not trying to sweep difficult things under the rug is a very valuable tool to have in your kit as a leader. How do you bring your Catholic faith into all of that? kind of thinking as a leader, doing as a leader. Leader by accident, obviously, is about this step out of my comfort zone into this scoutmaster position. Mm -hmm. uh, but then part two of that happened a few years later when I lost the job I'd had for almost 21 years at that point. And it had never occurred to me to do anything other than have somebody else hand me a paycheck. And I the the flaw in that strategy <laughs> was that people were not lined up to hire a 51-year-old self-taught marketer at that moment. So uh, I wound up hanging out my own shingle. And that was really the second, maybe even bigger step out of my comfort zone. Because as I said, it had never crossed my mind. And it's the best thing that I ever, ever did professionally in the last, that was 10 years ago. And, it, and it's been the most enjoyable professional stretch of my life by far. So I, I think the, the message to be taken from all of that is that we have to challenge ourselves and we have to occasionally do the thing that scares us a little bit, you know, that, that forces us out of our comfort zone. Because if not, then, you know, we, we're not growing. And I, and I quote, you know, the preacher who supposedly said, uh, you know, God loves you just the way you are. And he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to grow and we need to change. And for me, my faith entered into it where even in, the darkest days of stepping into that scoutmaster position and wondering how on earth I was going to manage it in the darkest days of not knowing what was next professionally. I have always believed that, that God has my back and that things would work out for the best. And, and by and large they have, and you know, that's what faith is with a capital F or a small F, right? It's sort of believing that things will, will work out and that there's a larger power at work with us, maybe not for us, but with us, you know? And and I think that that really is where the story of the book is dovetailed with my own personal faith. Mm -hmm. Are there any people who just can't be leaders, who just can't, can't make the difference between speaking with authority and being authoritarian or who just, who just don't have that level of empathy to jump into it? Or do you think everybody does have the skill somewhere inside them? I think everybody probably has the skill. I think not everybody finds it. Right? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. We've all had that boss at one point, or most of us have, you know, who, who just doesn't seem to get it. They're clearly they're out there. I mean, one of my favorite sayings in business is people join companies and they quit bosses. And we look back here, excuse me, at the great resignation over this past year. And clearly a lot of people are quitting their bosses. Mm -hmm. And as I said, maybe it's some, they didn't measure up on the empathy scale as we had to make all these concessions to the pandemic. Or I think a lot of people just kind of maybe didn't have to do with their boss, but just 
saw what had happened in the pandemic and realized this is when I'm reprioritizing and I'm going to hit the reset button and I'm going to do something different. I think there, there are a lot of different reasons behind that, but, but part of it is leadership. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I think if I look back at my career, I see some people who were I who were very good bosses and some who were not very good bosses. And if I further analyze it, the ones who were good bosses were good leaders and good mentors. Yes. And and probably because they they cared about you and put you first. Mm-hmm. You know, they took a sincere interest in you. I mean, that that really for me is the distinguishing characteristic of of a good leader. There are a million definitions of leadership, and they're they're all pretty good. But that that for me is it. Yeah, and they probably understood the mission of the organization, but also helped dovetail that with the mission of the of their individual employees. So, probably works out really well that way. Yeah, true. Where can people get the book? The book is Leader by Accident: Lessons in Leadership, Loss, and Life by Jim Rafferty, who we've been talking with today. Where can we get it? It's on Amazon.com uh, in print form, in you know, for your Kindle and in audiobook form, read by me. And uh, there's more information at leaderbyaccident.com also. Very good. Yeah, the the audiobook is a big job. If you ever think about recording your own audiobook, think twice. Okay, that's a good good tip to leave us with. Well, Jim Rafferty is a marketing and communications consultant. And as we said, he's the author of Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss, and Life. Thank you so much for, for being with us today, Jim. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead... Let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.